Hi, I'm Renee Evans, co-senior leader of Bethel Austin. Make sure that you like and subscribe to our weekly sermons so that you don't miss what is happening here at Bethel Austin. We pray that this message inspires and encourages you. And most of all, we pray that you would have an encounter with the living God today. All right. Thank you, Joaquin. Joy to be with you guys this morning. Stacy has to help me. I've got like two iPads. You know, I'm amazed these days at all the technology it takes to preach a sermon. It, it's quite crazy. But anyway, I've got a book to give away from our bookstore. How many, how many have shopped in our bookstore out there? All right, good number of you. I encourage you to check that out. So we're going to do a book giveaway. This is The Pursuit of God by A.W. Tozer. Anybody ever heard of him? So he was a guy in the 50s. I love some of these older books um, from the 50s and older they have some powerful, powerful things in here. A.W. Tozer had an amazing relationship with God, and he would share on these really deep things. And uh, one of them is how to pursue God. So who this week, who this week had a reigniting in your heart of your pursuit of God? Anybody? All right. First one up to power walk up here gets this. Yeah, you got a power walk. Don't run. Let's see your power walk. There you go. All right. There you go. Bless you. And, and bless you as, as you are reignited in what God's got for you this week. Amen. We pray encounters over you. We just pray for God's spirit to fall on you and your pursuit would be met by him, that you would meet him like you've never met him this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. All right. Oh, I like that. I like it when your slide turns out, like on your computer, it looks the same up there. It's like fantastic. Yeah, that looks, I, I want to jump into that, right? Like, that looks like glory to me. Um, so this morning, I'm going to share with you guys, I don't, I don't have any good dad jokes. I'm sorry right now. I usually try to open with something, but I want to, I want to, I want to continue where I was like a couple of months ago. This is kind of a continuation of a, uh, of a message that I did on holiness. You can go back and listen to that. You can look on YouTube if you can find that. You don't have to to get this, me to understand this message, but if you want to go back and listen, I kind of developed some things out around holiness. I felt like I was supposed to continue to do this, but I'm going to review a little bit um, of where I was, and I want to paint a picture of you of holiness and what that looks like. And um, holiness... Sometimes we, we interpret holiness or we define holiness through relig religion. And we see holiness as something that is, is this harsh, you know, you know, people who are holy are these harsh, mean people who don't have any fun. And that's often how holiness has been portrayed by the world, but maybe with good reason, because sometimes that is true. Right? I've, I've seen it. I've seen religious people be very mean, and they're not very fun. And God, though, wants to give us an understanding of the beauty of holiness and define it in its correct way. Amen? And so, really, holiness, it's not just a, a list of rules. That's not what holiness is. Holiness speaks to God being so powerful that only he could create everything. It, it speaks that to him being the source of all, it speaks to him being determined not by anything outside of himself. And 
he is categorically different than anything else. God is not a part of any category. He is his own category. And so when we think about holiness, we're talking about this absolute, utter uniqueness, which is what I shared in that previous message, that God is absolutely utter unique. He's like nothing else. He's incomparable. There's none like him. In the Psalms, it says, who is like the Lord our God? Who is seated on high? Who is like God? He's unique, and he's completely other, is the way I like to word it. He's other. He's, he's this whole other category. He's in something completely different than anyone else. That is what holiness is. Unlimited power. He has, I want you to think about it, or maybe don't think about it too much. He has no beginning nor end. God was not created. He is the creator. Now, if you think about that very long, all your circuits are going to blow. <laughs> I've seen it happen to people. They try to figure it out. Listen, there's just some things we can't figure out. We know the reality of God. We know his, how real he is, but I, it is, I can't understand how God has always been and always will be. It blows every circuit in my mind. Why? Because God is other. He can't be completely understood. He can't be completely figured out. He's indescribable. Even um, in the book of Revelation, when John has this revelation of Jesus, his description was, he used the word like a lot. So if you, if you, you know, I try to get that out of my preaching, you know, like, like, like. But when, when John had a, an encounter, he, he said things like this. His hair, his hair was white, like white wool. Um, his eyes were like snow. Um, or his eyes were like a flame of fire. His hair was like, like white snow. Um, his feet were like burnished bronze, his voice like the roar of many waters, his face like the sun shining in its full strength. He kept saying like because he couldn't fully describe what he was seeing. He didn't fully have words. You see the same thing in Ezekiel. He says over and over, it was like this, it was like that. He could not fully describe this other holy God that he was encountering. And when he encountered him, what did he do? He falls at his feet as a dead man. Now, this is Jesus he was, he was encountering. He knew Jesus, but he's encountering him in a way that he had never seen him before. He was encountering him in all of his otherness. And God is other. So his divine nature, his utter unique goodness. So holiness, the word, it's a word. It, you could say that it describes the gap between us and him. It's that gap, like he's so over here, we're so over here, and it describes that gap. It's kind of like the difference between the sun and the earth, right? There's some, some similarities, but really the sun is completely different than the earth, yeah. right? I mean, it's this big, hot rock that is 8 million, I think 8 million miles away that we can stand outside and feel heat from it on a warm day. There's, that's amazing. That's nothing like the earth. It's completely different. If we, and if we approach the sun, we would burn up, right? Does that make the sun bad? No. The sun's not something that's bad. It's something that's good. It's something that benefits us. But if we approach it, we're going to burn up. Why? Because it's so completely different. We can't handle it. So he's completely other. And holiness does encompass moral purity. 
It's a part of his holiness, but it's more than that. It's more than that. Being kind is being holy because God is other. He's a kind God. Showing mercy is to step into his otherness. Wisdom, humility, gentleness, love, these are all characteristics of the holiness of God. Purity, these are characteristics of God. Amen? And so, just kind of finishing up this summary, I said this the last, last time that I shared around this, other ethical systems call us to become what we're not. So there's a lot of ethical systems in the world. There's a lot of different religions in the world. There's a lot of different moral things, and not all the morality around that is bad, but those things try to call you into something that you're not. But God calls us to become what we already are. Did you know you're a saint? And so he calls us to become what we are, to carry his utter uniqueness. He calls us to become what we already are. He calls us into more of what he has already made us to be. And so stepping into his nature, to grow into it, to grow more fully into his nature, and it's not just stopping doing bad things. It's being transformed to be like him. And the result of that is there's a lot of things that I stop doing. Because I'm stepping into his otherness and I'm not doing the things that I used to do in my old life because I've been given this new life and I am being transformed. I've been transformed. I'm being transformed into this, into what God wants me to be. And because of that, there's things that I don't do. You know, a lot of people approach holiness like this. It's like, if I can just, I've got these things in my life, and if I could just keep my hand over the bottle and not do them, then I'm walking holy. I would submit to you that just keeping your hand over the bottle is not holy. Getting rid of the bottle is holy. And that's what God has called us to do. All the bottles from our old life, and some of these things, even if as we get saved, some of these things we hold on to, we keep a bottle over here, and we try to keep our hand on it. We try to be good. We try not to go to that thing. But as long as we've got that bottle, there's going to be a struggle there. God wants us to get rid of the bottle completely. That's God's version of purity and holiness is to just get rid of the bottle. And he gives us a way to do that. You know, in Leviticus and 1 Peter, it says, God says, uh, there's this statement. He says, be holy for I am holy. I want you to think of it this way. Be other as I am other. This is what God's called us into. Other as I am other. And I want to go to, I've got just a couple, the reason I have these slides, I like to get us all on the same page, same translation. So this is the ESV. Um, if you've got another translation, I'm sorry, but I like the ESV. No, I love all translations, but I'm going to use this one this morning. Um, 2 Peter 1.3. So we know this was written by the apostle Peter. And you know Peter, right? He's the guy that walked on water. You remember him? Remember that guy? You know, he also cut off a soldier's ear when they came to get Jesus. And Jesus said, hey, get behind me, Satan. And he, of course, he, he fixed the guy's ear. It's good Jesus was there, right? Um, he also denied Jesus three times. And Jesus told him he was going to do it. He said, no way. Of course, we know that he did it, and he cursed when he did it. Um, but he also became a pillar in the early church. 
as Jesus said he would be. He strengthened his brothers. And so we, we know that he, he wrote this, and this is such a powerful scripture. And I'd like to read this together, if that's okay. 2 Peter 1.3. Can we read it together? His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Powerful scripture. You mind if we break this down? You mind if I teach a little bit? All right, so listen, guys, I like to teach, but I like to do it from a revival lens. And when I teach, I like, to shake, I like it to shake stuff up inside of us. Amen? It's not just for information. It's for transformation. And that's how God wants us to teach. And so I'm going to teach a little bit. We're going to just kind of break down through this, if that's okay with you guys. I'm going to leave that up there. Um, but let's just break down through. So we see in verse 3 here, what do we see? We see it says, His divine power has granted to us. His divine power. God's divine power. His unlimited, other, divine, indescribable, amazing power has done something for us. It's granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And when you think of the word granted, it's, it's a generous word, but it has a formality to it. It's a no strings attached. There's kind of a legal thing to it. I'm granting something to you. I'm officially giving this to you. And so we see here that we've been granted what? All things that pertain to what? Life and godliness. So we've been given all things. And you know, the translation for Greek for all is what? All. <laughs> that sounds like something Jeff Collins would say, right? I try to emulate him sometimes, but all. So all, 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 all. He's given all things. He hasn't just given us a few things. In your, in your possession, in your rights, because God has given, them to, given it to you. He's granted to you and to me all things that pertain to life and to godliness. And life here is, is, is a Greek word, zoe. And what that means, it's not just life, it's the God kind of life. It's real, genuine. It's the way God intended man to live. And then, of course, godliness is God-likeness. So what has he done? He has given all things that pertain to live a God kind of life and to live a God-like life. This is what has been granted to us, that our character, that our nature, that our behavior would be God-like, and we would live in the fullness of the abundance of the life, the God kind of life that he wants us to live, that we would enjoy what he's given to us, that we would enjoy our life, that we would enjoy him. This is what he's given, that we would enjoy. So what's, what's, a, what's a God kind of life? A life full of his presence. A life where I am in the presence of the Lord. I am walking in a relationship with him. And I am walking in a relationship with others in a God-like way. This is what he's called us to. And then it goes on. It keeps going. You want to keep going? Yes. It says, through the knowledge of him. 
So he's offered, he's granted to us this God life. He's granted to us this God likeness. He's granted to us this life and this godliness. He's given us all this, but how does this begin to operate? How does this divine power, it's by his divine power, how does that divine power begin to operate? It becomes operational uh, through firsthand personal experiential knowledge of Jesus. So divine power, it's been granted. It then becomes operational in my life. It's, it says here, by, th- through the knowledge of him. And so it becomes operational through Jesus. And it becomes operational in that relationship with him, the knowing of Jesus. So it's not just knowledge in my head, over, uh, although that's part of it. It's knowledge in my head and my heart. It's as I walk with Jesus, as I walk with him, that I begin to operate in this divine power, and I begin to step into something that's completely other than me. I begin to step into his likeness. My life begins to reflect him, and I begin to live a God kind of life. Not my own life, but his kind of life, which is so much better. Amen. Amen. And what does it say next? Who called us? Do you know you're called? And you know you're, you're called with a heavenly calling. Your life, every single person in this room has a call, and it's a heavenly calling. You're not called to just live an average life. You're called to live in this heavenly calling of God and to step into his likeness and to step in to his God kind of life. And so you have a heavenly calling. And what's he called us to? It says to his own glory and excellence. You and I have been called to God's glory and his excellence. We've been called to his otherness, guys. I preach this in that other uh, message on holiness out of Philippians 1.10, it says, so that you may approve what is what? Excellent. And excellent is something that's essential. It's superior in quality. It's what matters. It's what counts. It's what's higher. So God has called us to his own glory and to that which is excellent, that which is higher, that which is superior in quality. I would say that the life of God is superior in quality to anything else. There is nothing in this world that satisfies like him. There is nothing higher than we can step, than stepping into this call of God into his glory and his excellence. Into his presence, into his beauty, into his kindness, into his goodness, into his gentleness that we would step into these things. And it keeps going in verse four, by which, don't you love this language? Some people people believe that Peter wrote this through a proxy because Peter was, he was an uneducated fisherman. Um, Maybe he did. So, and the Greek is so complex here in this passage, you can even kind of get a, it's like it goes and then it kicks back and it kicks back up to this. You notice what it's doing as I share this? And so some people think he wrote it. He wrote it, but it kind of went through a, a proxy, I guess like an editor that kind of brought the good Greek into it. Now, I don't know. That's possible. Or it may have been that, that Peter was with Jesus so much that he became like a genius, right? It does say in Acts that they marveled, they marveled at him uh, as they were preaching the gospel, the, the, that the people marveled at these uneducated men 
They couldn't believe it. So maybe he was operating in a, in a super high level in God's glory, and he's just writing this out. I don't, I don't know. But it's really powerful stuff. He says, verse 4, by which he granted to us. So we see it again. What's he granted to us? His precious and very great promises. So what's that been granted to us by? It's been granted to us, here's where that, that complex language, by his glory and excellence. And so by God's glory and excellence, he has granted to us his precious and his very great promises. His precious and very great promises. Um, another translation says magnificent promises, and I love that. That God has granted to us something so precious, so eternal from heaven, but he's all, it's, and it's so magnificent, his promises. And what is magnificent? It, magnificent is this extreme, unsurpassed level, uh, a promise that surpasses all others. And you know, there's been a lot of studies done, done on how many promises are in the Bible, and it ranges from like 3,000 to 30,000. But this one guy did this real comprehensive study that I was reading about. And, um, and he, his name was Everett R. Storms, and he determined that there were 8,810 promises in the Bible. That's a lot of promises, right? So if we want to know the promises of God, what do we need to do? We need to read the Word. We need to read it. We need to get inside of it. We need to stand on it. I want to encourage you, if you're facing a difficulty or circumstance, get on the word and stand on it. Stand on it when you don't feel like it. Stand on it when your day's going great. Stand on it when your day's not going so great. Stand on the promises of God. It's easy to stand on the promises when we're in the fulfillment of it, but sometimes we have to stand before we see it. But we have this promise that God, by his own glory and excellence, has granted to us these precious and very great promises. And I believe the promises in the word are for us. Amen? And so we want to we stand on it. You know, at Bethel Austin, we're not really following a program here. You know what we're following? His promises. We're in pursuit of the promises of God. When we stand up here and we declare healing, when we release healing, what are we doing? We're pursuing the promise of God. We're pursuing what's in the word. When we declare freedom or we declare a breakthrough in some area, finances or family or relationships or whatever that is, we are proclaiming the promises of God. And I tell you what, I would much rather be a church that pursues promises, even if it gets messy sometimes, than pursuing a program. Amen? Let's pursue it. All right. Let's pursue the promises of God. Let's pursue the promises of God even when we don't understand something. Right? I don't, sometimes things don't happen as quickly as I'd like them to. I don't understand it. You know what, though? I don't spend a lot of time trying to. I just stand on the promise that God is going to do what he said he's going to do. Amen. And if something didn't happen the way I thought it was going to happen, you know what? It doesn't make me any less stand on his promises. I keep moving forward. I keep standing. I keep believing. Maybe I was healed of something. Maybe I wasn't healed of something. The next time I need to be healed of something, I keep standing on his promises. Amen. All right. And then it keeps going. You guys still with me? All right. And then it says, so that through them. So what's them? Them is this, 
Again, this language keeps, I love it. It just keeps kicking back. If you like to diagram sentences, this is a great one to do. I told, I was really good at that in high school. I was great at diagramming sentences. I probably couldn't do it now at all, but, um, but it helps me, like right here, right? So, so through them, so what's them? Them is, is everything necessary for life and godliness and his precious and magnificent promises. So through them, so through them, so through everything necessary for life and godliness and through his precious and magnificent promises, what happens? This is powerful, guys. Take a deep breath. You may become partakers of the divine nature. Now, this is getting good. This is where it gets good. You are becoming partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. And I want to talk about that for a second, but what, what causes corruption in the world? Sinful desire. A lot of people want to blame all these bad things. Why does God let these things happen? It's the sinful desire that creates the corruption that is in the world. So Jesus, so God offered his son Jesus to break that corruption. But it has to be received. We know it's not fully done in this world. We see corruption, right? And it's because of sinful desire. Because of sinful desire, there is corruption in the world. But let's look here at, and let me just say this about sinful desire. You could be born with sinful desire. In fact, you're not born perfect. I don't know if you realize that. <laughs> Anybody, baby, the baby's not perfect. We're born, we're born with sinful desire. We're born with what? A fallen nature. Before we even do that first sin, we're born with a fallen nature. That we're given a new nature in Christ. We know this, but we're born with that. And so you could be born with something that is sinful desire. And some people would say, well, that's just me. No, it's not just you. God wants to change it because it's not who you are. It's not who he wants you to be. Amen. And so God wants to break off all the things that we were born with and all the things that, we, that come into our life that are sinful desire. Because what does it produce? It produces death and it produces corruption. But it goes here, it says that we are partakers of what? The divine nature. We are partakers. Partake comes from the word koinos, which comes from a root that is the same word for communion. It means to share. It means one who participates with another in an enterprise or a matter of joint concern. It's to share something. It's to have something in common with one another. And when we talk about communion, taking communion, it's something we do together because we are sharing together this revelation and remembering what Jesus did for us together. And it's really, really powerful. And so we are partakers. We share, we share in the divine nature. God has invited us in through all these things that I've been talking about into his divine nature. Amen. And so this speaks to this sanctification process that happens in our relationship with God. So, in my relationship with God, I am being sanctified. I have been, the theological term, I've been justified. So, I have been given this. I have been given all these things. Yet, I'm going through a process of walking this out in my life, which is necessary, by the way. 
It's the way God designed it to happen was that I would walk out this process relationally with him where I am being changed. And so he said, this is who you are, but I'm taking you to where I want you to be. And so God is sanctifying us in this relationship. We become partakers in this divine nature. He's called us to share with him in his very nature. I want you to think about that for a second. He hasn't just offered us good things to enjoy. He says, I want you to be like me. I want you to share in my divine nature. Amen? Can I just read you? I did a summary of this. I'm just going to read it to you. Divine power becomes operational in our growing personal knowledge of Jesus. Knowing him moves us into his glory and excellence where we begin to experience his magnificent promises. It is in this place where we escape corruption and share in his divine nature. Divine power is where this started. Divine nature is where this ends. Divine power brings me into divine nature. Now, I have seen people experience divine power, but they don't walk with Jesus as he sanctifies them, and they don't end up in a place of his divine nature. And I think in some respects, this, God has offered it to us, and then we have to determine, are we going to walk it out? And some people choose to stay in diapers. Others choose to mature in the Lord. Amen? And listen, people who are in diapers, it's, it's not because they don't know anything necessarily. It's because they're not walking out this process with God. They're not becoming kinder. I would say if you're not kind, you got a pacifier of, in your mouth. If you're not walking in mercy, if you're not work, walking in gentleness and love, and I, and I realize we're in this we're in this process, but you know, it's okay to, for me to go, you know what? I'm like an infant in that area. You know what I do if I'm an infant in an area and I see someone else that has that, that, I, that place that I want to go? I like to get around them. Yeah, yeah. Amen? Because they're operating, they're partaking of his divine nature in that area. I want to get in on that. And you know, it's not, mercy's not just for the people who are inclined towards mercy. Mercy is a characteristic. It's an attribute of God. You know, those lovey-dovey people, you know, they can't say no to anybody, and they're always trying to help people, and it's like they get themselves in trouble because, you know, they don't, you know, and they have to set some boundaries, which is good. All that's good. <laughs> but we need to all say, oh, I want to be more like that. I want to operate in more mercy. That's actually a gift that's operating in their life. Now, we have to have wisdom, right, in our mercy, but I want to walk in mercy. I want to walk in all these things. And so divine power brings us to divine nature. That is the process I am in. That is the process you are in. And you know what, guys? It gets a little messy in between. And I'm going to show you an example of this. You okay? Yeah. All right. We're going to look at the Corinthians. How much do you know about the Corinthians? You know, gifts of the Spirit, right? Ooh, we like that at Bethel Austin. Gifts of the Spirit, we like that. But uh, the Corinthians, I, I'm going to pull a scripture up in a minute, but the Corinthians, um, the Corinthians were a mess, guys. 
they were they were an awesome church, but man, they were a mess. So the city of Corinth was infamous for the temple of Aphrodite, the goddess, the false goddess of, of love and all that. You know, that temple had at its height over 1,000 priestess who at night would go out as prostitutes. That's the spiritual climate of, of that. The, the Corinth became known to the point for its immorality that the Greek verb to Corinthianize came to mean practice sexual immorality. So it'd be like, oh, you're Corinthianizing. Stop Corinthianizing. You're, you know, it's kind of like, you know, what stays in Vegas or what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. It's kind of like that kind of city, right? It's, it's that kind of thing. So the very city became known for, for immoral behavior. And so the church at Corinth they had a lot of issues. I'm not kidding. Like, Paul had to write two letters to them. <laughs> you know that? He wrote two letters, and then in between, he had, to go, the two, he had to go visit them. And it was, guys, it was like a fight. If you ever read it, you're like, whoa. I mean, they, they didn't like what he had to say, so they, like, said, we don't even like you. We got these other apostles. We got some super apostles. We don't like you. They were like, we don't, you know, they... They kind of came off on him. And, you know, his answer was, well, you know what, though? I met Jesus personally, guys. <laughs> if you want to know my credentials, I met him personally. All right. So it's like mic drop moment, I'm sure. But he was going back and forth with them because there was divisiveness. There was litigation in the church. They were suing each other. There was food offered to idols being mixed in with different stuff, you know, like uh, in, in the church, there was um, class divisions so that were happening in church, you know, and, um, and then there were uh, all these different things that were happening in immorality. I mean, they had on an immoral, sexual immoral, they had about everything going on that you could imagine. If you can imagine it today, which is happening a lot in the world, it was happening at the church in Corinth. And so what was happening to them? They were displaying the culture of the city of Corinth. They were more like the city of Corinth, even though they were these awesome people. They, were, they had been saved, but they were displaying the, the culture of Corinth. And so Paul has to write them this letter to pull them out of that. And I want to say this. One of their arguments for sexual immorality was basically that, that they equated the law on not eating these ceremonial foods um, being that the, the, that the fact that they could eat, not have to eat those anymore, or Paul talked about, hey, if there's food you know, that was dedicated, he's like, hey, I don't care. Those are false demons anyway. If you want to eat it, you can eat it. And so they're like, hey, if that's not a problem, then you know what? We can just do everything. We can, we can do whatever sexual thing we want. We can walk in impurity because, you know, th this whole thing's changed. Like all things are permissible was what they started saying. And they were actually using the word, per se, to justify their position. Happens today. But it's a lie. It's a dangerous lie when, when someone uses the word to justify that which is not other and that which is not holy. And that's a spirit that is in the world very strong right now. In fact, I've noticed its increase in the last week. 
There's like this release, but you know what? Paul was struggling with this same thing with these guys. And then they tried to justify it. And you can't justify it. But what did Paul do? He begins to invite them into the culture of heaven. Let's look at this passage here. It helps when you look at the scripture and you kind of understand what was happening in Corinth. 2 Corinthians 3, 18. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is spirit. Some translations say from glory to glory. They're both right. So from one degree of glory. So Paul was inviting the Corinthians out of the culture of Corinth. He's saying this is what you were not created for this. No, this is wrong. Don't try to justify this. But I'm calling you to step in because you have an unveiled face. This is who you are. You have salvation. You are saved. And by beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to the next. Speaks again to the sanctification process. We are being called in one degree of glory, one encounter with Jesus, one meeting with Jesus, one moment with Jesus at a time, we are being transformed into what? His image. We are being transformed into what? His otherness. We are being transformed to look like him. Amen. Now, we're not becoming gods, but we are becoming godlike. We're becoming like him. We are being made into his image. And how does it happen? By beholding his glory. Is the glory of the Lord important? <laughs> it's not just important. I, I love the way the glory feels, right? I love to be in his presence. There's nothing like it. But there's something that's happening inside of that encounter. Don't ever look down if someone's encountering God like, oh, there they are on the floor again. <laughs> You know what's happening? One degree at a time. They're being transformed. Every service that we have, every time we stop and we encounter God, we're being transformed. We're being made into his image. Amen? We're being brought into this God life that he's called us to. We're being brought in one degree at a time. Now, I want to share... I'm going to end with this. I'm going to share a story with you guys. Is that all right? So I've shared about this encounter from up here before, but there's a piece of it I don't know if I've ever shared. I don't share it very often. So when I was 15, 16, I, you know, it was a long time ago, guys. Whoa, it was way back there. I had this encounter with the Lord in my grandparents' living room. Um, that, that encounter has fueled everything in my life. I can go back to that encounter. Every, every thing that I've gone for started in that encounter. And uh, we were this group of 
Baptists, and I love my Baptist heritage, honestly, taught me so much about the Word and evangelism. And so I, I so appreciate, I really do appreciate that heritage. But we were this group, and we hadn't really hold, heard of the Holy Spirit. I mean, we had, but we didn't know, like, this was operational. And uh, so into this meeting, the Holy Spirit starts to fall. We don't have language for it. We don't, under, we don't, I, we have, we don't even understand what's going on. So if you're here and you've never been in a church like this, just hang around. It's okay. You can encounter God. You may not understand what's going on, but that's okay because you'll know when you encounter him, yeah. it'll be life-changing for you. Yeah. And so, we're, I, Holy Spirit, I go up. This guy prays for me. I've never seen anybody lay hands on He's like, prays for me, boom, on the ground. And I've shared this before. But I go under this encounter for, it had to be like four, five, six hours on my grandparents' living room floor. And what was happening to me is this wave of, of the love of God would, would hit me, hit me and go down through my body and it would almost lift me, me off the floor, like wave after wave. And I've heard other people use this description, but it truly was like liquid love. <sighs> over and over and over again. And I'm not even really aware that I'm in this room on my grandparents' floor. They didn't have a comfortable floor. It was like, it was brick. And so there, I'm on this floor, you know, like brick floor. It, I mean, it was nice, but it was hard as a rock. But I don't even know I'm in the room anymore. Encounter, just coming over and over the liquid love of God. And I'm crying and I'm, I don't, I mean, it's just, it's just overwhelming what was happening. All I could see was, was light. Like, I couldn't really see anything. I looked like, kind of like that. It was just like bright light. Everywhere, And so I'm having this encounter, but something happened to me in this encounter that I want you to hear. My childhood was not great, and probably my stories, like many stories, and probably some of you had way more difficult stories than I did, but my parents didn't have a good relationship. Um, when I was conceived, I didn't know this at the time of this encounter, but when I was conceived... I was conceived out of, out of wedlock. My parents were, were going to be married, but they, messed, they made a mistake. They messed up, which years later, God showed me they made a mistake. You weren't a mistake. That'll blow your theological mind. <laughs> Whoa, all right. So, but anyway, so they had messed up, but, but the result of that was, I didn't realize this, but if you could imagine, and, and I can share this openly because my mom and, ha, and I and, and my parents, we have this joint testimony around this of what God did. And so, conceived out of wedlock, if you could imagine what would happen back, you know, then, my, my, my grandparents, you know, all this stuff with my mom, my mom's parents, they were upset. I mean, I get it, right? They're upset like this happened. Now, in their upsetness, could you imagine the conversations that were probably happening? Now, I'm in my mother's womb, and all these conversations are happening. This is a negative. Like, my, my, um, my conception was not a positive. It was pain. It was pain for my mom. It was pain for my parents. It was pain for my grandparents. There was a lot of pain around it. There wasn't, like, excitement around it in the beginning. So... Growing up as a result of that, now I found this out later. I didn't know at the time, and I didn't know why I had so much animosity in my heart towards my mother, and particularly her parents. Not so much with my other grandparents, 
but with her parents. I didn't even know why. I can remember as a kid, a young kid, I didn't want to be around them. It wasn't like they were doing anything bad to me. I just didn't want to be around them. There was something internalized inside of me where there was just this anger and there was this shame and there was this feeling of rejection and that I was a mistake that was so strong in me, so strong. And I was miserable as a teenager with that. So fast forward to this moment. I'm on the floor, liquid liquid waves of love flowing through my body, bright light. And I've never felt a love like that. His love's tangible. And in that moment, I begin to feel love for my mom. I began to feel love for my grandparents. And it was like this perfect love. It was like, it was literally like, it was not my own. It was the love of God in me. And I began to say, I forgive them. I love them. I love them. I love them. Now, this is going for hours in this encounter. I love them. I love them. And I'm feeling a surge of the love of God go through my body for them. Now, later, I find out a lot of this stuff that had happened. My mom told me she was ashamed of that whole thing because she was geared up to be married. You know, she was told, you can't wear a white dress like you've messed up, you know, this whole thing. She lived in shame until she was 40 years old of that. So in this encounter, this is happening. I'm feeling this perfect love of God. And so I get up out of that encounter, and I'm like completely different. I was so hungry for God. I used to spend, I would just sit in my room and read the Bible. I would sit in my room and pray. I quit athletics for a season because I just had to have more of God at 15 years old. And so I'm, I'm in this place, but, and so I'm tra- there was a transformation that was happening. But you know, it took some years for some of this to be worked out. It was five or six years later before I saw the fullness of all of that worked out. It was though in that encounter, God was saying, this is where I'm taking you. This is who you are. You are someone who is full of the love of God. You are someone who is forgiven. You are someone who is free. This is who you are. You love your grandparents. You love your mom with my love flowing through you. But I wasn't fully there. I had to walk it out. And it was years later that I got a full breakthrough of this. And it happened in a series of a year of encounters with God, one degree at a time. I kept having this until God totally healed me and totally set me free from everything that was around that. And with that, my mom also got free in particular. I mean, it's amazing. Like, I love my mom. I love to hang out with my mom. I love to be with my mom. And I literally, there was something in me that just could not before. And so, God wants us to have encounters that transform us one degree at a time, but he also wants us to begin to see our future reality. 
to experience his perfect love. Why don't we stand up? I'm just going to pray um, for a moment, and then if you need to go, I believe it's probably time pretty quick here to go get your kids. But let me just pray, and then Ben can come up. But Lord, let's just lift our hands. And let's just say this together, one degree of glory, one degree of glory at a time. One encounter at a time. May we become more like Jesus. Now I want you to do something. And everybody should say something here or a couple things. I want you to lift up that. What did God put in your heart that you want to become more like him? And we want to do it in all. But where do you want to grow tomorrow? Kindness, love, what is it? So let's all do it. I'm going to turn off my mic. What do you want to be? Where do you want to go? Kindness, mercy, love, goodness, self-control, patience. Patience, patience, patience. Release that in this place, God. Let us become like you. Let us carry the culture of heaven in a way that brings transformation, not only in this place, but to our city. May we walk in your otherness in a way that does not push people away, but in a way that shows them that you are real and that you are calling them to the same transformation that you have offered to us. God, we pray for that release, and God, we pray for more glory in this place. God, we pray for presence encounters like we've never had. God, we thank you for what you've done. But God, we ask for more presence to fill this place when we gather together than we have ever thought was possible. God, that glory would fill this place, that glory after glory would stack on glory. And God, that we would be transformed by it. God, we pray it for our kids. God, we pray it for our teenagers. God, encounters that change the very direction and and put on a path of life that is completely different than where they were. God, for us who are older, God, we pray, God, for encounters that would set us for the next part of our life. For you, Jesus, amen. Be blessed, guys. Love y'all. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit BethelATX.com.